0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to guard anew for our life, liberty, and property here on the other side of China. We used to call it the United States, but who knows what it is now. All I know is we know what it needs to be. It is going to take you and I together, all of us standing up. Daniel Horowitz back here today after Thanksgiving, Monday, the 28th of November. Hope you guys had a terrific time unplugging. And I know I certainly did. We had some great, memorable moments with the kids, played a lot of games, a lot of family time. And I really didn't follow the news at all. Didn't work at all since Wednesday. It seems like an eternity, but it's only a couple extra days. And it got me thinking... I guess I could understand a lot of people who broadly think like us live conservative lives but don't get engaged, don't understand who's who and what's what of politics. They continue voting for flaccid Republicans in primaries and don't really stand up and rebel like we're seeing in China now. I kind of understand it because I lived that life for a couple of days A life I never live. I'm always on the cutting edge and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how could people's hair not be on fire from this, from that? But I guess this is the problem. When you have one side that has endless hired professionals, uh, so much money. I mean, this was brought out from that whole Blakeman-Fried scandal with FTX. They just have endless amounts of funding, not just from Soros, but so many others like him, to professionally agitate for everything they want. We don't have that. So we're left with this controlled opposition and sort of an apathetic public. And what's scary is the 800-pound gorilla in the room is, is really the million-dollar question. How bad do things have to get before we see that sort of public outcry that you're seeing today in, in China? But the problem is, once you reach that point, it's already too late. It's, you know, it's something that really we don't appreciate during the American Revolution. The stars aligned in favor of patriotism uh, where it really wasn't that bad, but they understood that you have to nip the shoots of arbitrary power in the bud, and they fought back while they still could. But again, it took a certain concerted effort of very smart, organized people. So we're going to have to get organized, and we're going to focus, obviously, on this lame duck session the omnibus bill, the destruction of marriage, they're taking another vote tonight on it, and COVID fascism, and how to extirpate it from culture, law, society, but we need that omnibus bill to not pass, so we have that leverage, and then of course, everything coming up in the state legislature, so we got a lot to focus on in this final sprint, obviously we always take off, and here at The Blaze, the last two weeks of the year from broadcast, so really, truncates the time but we will definitely have you covered through print through other mediums we'll talk about that maybe putting out video meanwhile my twitter account has still not been restored but you can catch me at c19 truth bombs on telegram um if it is restored i do plan to come back uh to use it for a force for good but what i've learned is that family time distracts from the fourth reich which is good but how bad do things need to get For us to wake up. And that's where you look at China. And it's kind of eerie watching what's going on in China. Because typically, when you watch and observe repression and just terrible human rights violations in these type of countries, we sit back and think, wow, you know, we'll pray for these people. Sure glad we live in the home of the free, the land of the free and the home of the brave. It's funny, I almost forgot it because we're no longer free. In this case, it's eerie because to a large degree, maybe not quite welding people in their homes, but to a large degree, that did happen. And to some degree, it's still happening and people forget. And to almost no degree... Have have we permanently banned it and criminalized it from our society as we would typically expect when we see something repressive, something repugnant, human rights violations? Man, that could never happen here because if politicians, if elected officials, unelected bureaucrats tried to do that here, they'd wind up in jail, not our people. Well, no. We tend to forget that this began in China. It's very heartwarming watching these... Uh, slogans, people are chanting in the streets of um, China, it started in the capital city of Xinjiang province where people were trapped in an apartment complex and it was set on fire and like a dozen people died and then obviously the protests spread all over and now it's in Shanghai, it's in Wuhan they have this chant, it started in Wuhan let it end in Wuhan and from their lips to God's ears let it end in Wuhan but right now Republicans aren't even promising to do anything to end it. I mean, think about it. Typically, when you take over Congress, you have what's called H.R. 1, your first House bill, and that's going to be your lead messaging bill, your most important bill. What should it be? Well, there's a lot of things. It, It could be, it should be, but you would think it would address what went on the last two and a half years, and it would be something of the order of, Clipping the president's authority to declare public health emergencies, uh, make any public health emergency subject to congressional approval. Two-thirds of Congress has to approve it within seven days. Otherwise, it can't continue. Banning the authority to ever make a person wear a mask, things like that. Banning their authority to ever force a person to take an injectable product. Banning gain-of-function research. They're not even talking about this. But it happened. So everything that's happening in China, to some degree, the surveillance state, the AI, the contact tracing, it all happened. It's still happening. That's what's so weird. So it turns out, in this uh, seven-hour deposition with the Missouri and Louisiana attorneys general's, Eric Schmidt of Missouri, uh, Jeff Landry from Louisiana. So this federal judge ruled that they have a right to discovery because they found enough evidence that HHS and the relevant agencies, including the White House itself, were collaborating with social media platforms to censor people. So straight up government violations, First Amendment violations there. And in the seven-hour deposition, which the media didn't cover, uh, they report That Fauci at some point admitted that Clifford Lane, who is his deputy at NIAID, was dispatched to China in February 2020, and he was so impressed with their success that he wanted to mimic it here. This is a direct quote from Fauci. Dr. Lane was very impressed about how, from a clinical public health standpoint, the Chinese were handling this isolation, the contact tracing, the building of facilities to take care of people. And that's what I believed he meant when he said they were managing this in a very structured, organized way. That's what he told one of the attorneys. I believe Dr. Lane came to the conclusion that when you have a widespread respiratory disease, that a very common and effective way to curtail the rapid spread of the disease is by implementing social distancing measures. Dr. Lane is a very astute clinician, and I have every reason to believe that his evaluation of the situation was accurate and correct. Remember, he is talking about starving people out, welding people shut. This is what he's referring to. This is what they were doing. The only difference now is that it's much more widespread. But what lockdowns were born from, our government supported and does support to this very day. In fact, let's take a listen to Fauci here. I want you guys to listen to Fauci. Um, This was during the the spring, the lockdowns from this spring in Shanghai. Take a listen to to how he described his opposition to it.
1: How concerning is the outbreak in China? We see the lockdown in Shanghai and the State Department now ordering families out, all non-essential workers out of Shanghai.
2: Well, China has has a number of problems, two of which are that their complete lockdown, which was their approach, a strictest lockdown that you'd never be able to implement in the United States, although that prevents the spread of infection. And remember, early on, they were saying, and I think accurately, that they were doing better than almost anybody else. But lockdown has its consequences. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections because you're dealing with an immunologically naive population to the virus because they've not really been exposed because of the lockdown. The problem is that the vaccines that they've been using are not nearly as effective as the vaccines that are used in the United States, the UK, EU, and other places.
0: Okay, well, notice Fauci didn't oppose it. He just said, oh, well, you could lock people down as, as much as you want, but the idea is to get a vaccine. So it's only because they have Pfizer, which is the bigger fish than lockdowns, and I keep telling you that, that's the only reason why they've moved on. And they're like, well, I don't like China's vaccines because I guess they can't profit off of them. But otherwise, he's totally fine with it. Or he just said, well, maybe you couldn't pull it off here politically. But if you could, again, he is totally, totally fine with this. So the point, and and, and you might have seen the White House put out a statement very tepid. It's more like they have a right to protest. Okay, but what about the underlying policy? Well, zero COVID is not practical. Not that it's immoral, illogical, inhumane, a human rights violation. And obviously the reason they don't say that is because, again, they did it here. And they're still doing it here. To a large extent. And that's what I want to raise awareness to. That precisely now when it's so unpopular and people see it going on in China. Is now is the time to plow the land over COVID fascism and salt it. Precisely now. But Republicans aren't even promising that. Now first our sponsor today, very importantly. As we talk about China. China. 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese. Their hogs are given all sorts of terrible additives, pro-inflammatory stuff, hormones. Makes you wonder if that's why an entire generation of men are like women and women act like men. (laughs) Who knows? But anyway, um, if you want to keep American farming going, healthy farming... Moink delivers, M-O-I-N-K. They deliver grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Um, they farm the way our grandparents did. As a result, they get the best taste and the best health all in one. So you sign up every month at moinkbox.com slash conservative. You could choose uh, an assortment of what you want in your box to be delivered, Ribeyes, chicken breast, pork chops, salmon fillets, you name it, they have it all. Except if you sign up with our link at moinkbox.com conservative, not only are you getting the best, healthiest, U.S.-based meat and chicken protein, which is really what they're trying to declare war on, which is why the Washington Post had another article on eating bugs today, but listeners of this show get free filet mignon. For a year. Again, that's one year of the best tasting, healthiest filet mignon you'll ever taste. M O I N K box dot com. Get moinked at get oinked at moink. moinkboxcom dot com slash conservative. So, folks, this is about a holistic view of extirpating China from America. See, our government is not saying, oh my gosh, this is all coming from China. We need to eschew that from our shores. No, they're like, we need to engage in an arms race to adopt what they're doing. Contact tracing, AI, surveillance, transhumanism. We need to find all of that and prohibit it. The surveillance state, medical surveillance, you know, this notion that you go to any doctor, pharmacy, healthcare provider, anywhere in the country, and they can immediately pull up anything you got. My mother recently went somewhere and, and they found that she used ivermectin, you know, because one of our doctors prescribed it for her. Like, what the heck? Things like that need to be banned. Registries need to be banned. Again, we're going to come out before this legislative session in January with our master list of health freedom ideas and then other ideas on other issues as well. The time is short and the work is quite a heavy lift. And that's the thing, when I get my Twitter account back, it's not just so I can, you know, improve my brand and make money and promote myself, but it has to have an end to itself. What are we trying to accomplish? But back to China. People think, oh, we're done with this. Republicans at a federal level have not even introduced legislation or promised to introduce legislation. Again, making it clear that no constitutional rights can be abridged during a public health emergency, banning mandates and mass banning um, emergency powers, making any public health emergency declaration subject, meaning not to the negative of Congress, but a positive. In other words, it cannot go on for more than seven days unless two-thirds of Congress affirm it. If it's such an emergency, you should have no problem getting those votes. And then you look at the states. You look at the states. Take a state like Texas. A state like Texas. We are two and a half years into this. And have they even banned the governor and any local executive from doing this again? I don't think so. You have a couple states that are on their way to doing some good things, have done some good things. But most red states have not fully banned this, and some haven't done anything. Indiana comes to mind. 2022 has been a bizarre year where we won the argument with the people. All of this stuff is unpopular, and it's been that way the entire year. I mean, even I think we turned the corner in the middle of 2021 on this stuff. Yet here we are over a year into that where I would say public opinion has been on our side And you have not seen any movement in these red states. It's very bizarre. Think about it. We're lamenting what China is doing. But remember people like Shelley Luther in Dallas, that uh, salon owner? She spent time in jail. That was under Greg Abbott. He still has not apologized for that. He's kind of like moved on, but it's moved on. Yeah, well, you know, we already had COVID. So China didn't have much COVID. We did. So they moved on. We already, you know, kind of have immunity. Not because it's illogical, illegal, inhumane, immoral, and needs to be prohibited. And as much as you think you're done with it, and look, in my life, it doesn't really affect me. But in most red states, you still can't go to medical school, law school, without it. Most colleges require these shots. And then the healthcare settings, there's still this inhumane masking. That is a symbol of China. Came from China. It's the greatest symbol. Not, but it's not just a symbol because it physically restricts your breathing of, of, of servitude to tyranny. By the way, created based on, with slave labor. Those masks are manufactured with slave labor in China. That's the irony of it all. Even the New York Times had an article on that. This is still going on in red states. Name me a red state. Name me one state where you can go to the hospital or medical services without wearing a mask. That is still going on. Rape victims, trauma victims, people in distress, cancer patients, Alzheimer's. And these are the ones that have to use healthcare a lot not not people like like me that are healthy thank god they have to go every week for to various appointments various procedures they have to sit there with their thing over their mouth and nose that is still going on that that is a major action item every single red state in the legislature you cannot have this healthcare exemption for ma- ban on mask mandates Heck, even um, Danielle Smith, the Alberta Premier, banned it in schools. A couple of red states have done that, but not all. A lot still have not. You still have localities within these states that could do it. That's what I'm telling you. This stuff is still going on, ironically, to this very day. There's this chant in Chinese among the protesters, we don't want testing, we want freedom. But these testing mandates are still around in some places. And I know I've said going after mandates is not enough because this thing is poison. You need to, meaning even without a mask, without a mandate, masks and, and, and mRNA gene therapy, they should be banned as is in the states. But even the mandates have not been fully extirpated. In other words, if you would take the 25 or so red states and you make a list of Action items banning emergency powers to declare a public health emergency and to, you know, you know, without the legislature. Shutdowns. Mandates. And yes, mandates both public and private. Very few have really been that yet. And even the ones that do still have some exceptions that need to be closed. So we have a lot of work to be done. We are still like China, but now that people are so repulsed by it and they see what's going on in China, now is the time to step on the gas pedal. And by the way, I do want to mention here, as far as um, these corporations, and, and you can see they're all shilling for China, they're literally Google and Apple, they're actually working to block Apple drop their airdrop because the protesters were using it. They, 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 uh, they're working for them. So if you're, you're part of this business of oh, all private sector mandates are fine, you're promoting China. You are promoting the Chinese agenda. Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, who so adamantly is in support of allowing all healthcare, all businesses in South Dakota to promote mask and vaccine mandates and even put up primary challengers against those who opposed it, They are promoting China on our shores. I want you guys to listen to this clip from Klaus Schwab on on how indispensable this public-private partnership is to their agenda. Take a listen.
1: Now, just two last points. Public-private cooperation. Today, some people would say, until... Two years ago, until the crisis hit, it was business who was in the lead. And now with the crisis, with COVID, it's government who is in the lead. No, it should be governments and business. Governments and business have to cooperate in order to become a fast fish, because In our world of today, it's not anymore so much the big fish who eats the small fish, but it is the fast fish who eats the slow fish. And in order to be a fast fish and a big fish, hopefully, like Indonesia, you have to have two co-pilots, business and governments. My last point relates to trust. If business is really a force for good, which it has to be, business has to practice stakeholder capitalism. Such a concept I wrote a book about over 50 years ago, and I devoted my life to the promotion of stakeholder responsibility. Business should not only serve shareholders, That has to serve the people and to take care of our planet. Only in such a way, business will earn the trust which it needs to be an innovative force to make our society a better society.
0: So folks, you understand how profound that was. If you're going to be like, oh, I'm for freedom, but, but the businesses could do the bidding of the WEF, which is really China, the cor- corporations, the government, you are co-signing us to the worst form of tyranny. That's not libertarianism. That's the worst form of fascism. And again, I have an article out today on the need to codify health status into anti-discrimination law. If we're going to have those laws, we're going to certainly apply them where they are needed the most. That's the bottom line. And then the question is where are the GOP leaders? Why is it that there's only a handful of people in conservative media, people like me, Epoch Times, you know, that are focusing on this? Where, where is Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy? Think about it. Where is Kevin McCarthy on the issues of our time? I'm not hearing it. I haven't even heard Kevin McCarthy demand that Mitch McConnell not pass an omnibus bill. It's teetering on the border now. This is really, I think, if, if Kevin McCarthy would hold a press conference calling on McConnell to whip against an omnibus bill and say, look, I want my majority to deal with this, I really think it would end it. But notice he's not doing that. Notice he's not doing that. Then you have them destroying marriage at a time when you have an entire generation that's confused. And again, more than even about social values and even about Judeo-Christian values and about religious liberty and things like that, it's really about transhumanism and de-civilization. That's what it's all about. And you see the results of it with 21% of Gen Z identifying as something that can't even procreate And they're out there banning states from only recognizing marriage as a marriage. And you have 12 Republicans voted for it, but the 12 is not even it. Most of the other ones were on the fence and don't care and are fine with it. Has Kevin McCarthy said a word? I tried to find, and I don't see him saying anything, but back in July 2022 when this came up in the House, first past the House, McCarthy told a reporter from the Washington Blade which is some sort of a homosexual paper. Um, he asked McCarthy at a news conference whether he backed you know, same-sex marriage, and he said, look, same-sex marriage is the law of the land, and it's what America holds, and that's the law of the land. In other words, their point is, why are Democrats bringing this up? It's already the law. We, we, we don't need it. Like, like, very defensive. Why aren't you speaking out against it? Well, same reason to speak out against Ukraine, speak out against the COVID fascism. And it's interesting. Are Republicans speaking out against China a fraction of how much they spoke out against Russia with Ukraine? Which one's more evil? Which one affects us more? Again, these policies originated in China. And they are still this inhumane thing that you'll take a rape victim who needs a, a, a colonoscopy and make her go under... Anesthesia with a mask on our face, you know, that's pretty China like, right? That's, that's happening everywhere in the United States. Where is Mitch McConnell? Remember Mitch McConnell said Ukraine is the most important issue of our time? Remember that? Well, how about the Chinese protesters standing with them? What if we used all of our tools of statecraft to pour gasoline on, on the fire and help those people? Hey, that's a foreign policy endeavor I could get behind. Because that's the linchpin of everything is China. But that's the one thing we won't get involved with. You know why? This is from CNN. From a couple of years back, June 2019. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao's family. This is Mitch McConnell's wife. She was Trump's transportation secretary. Of course, he, he elevated McConnell's wife to that position like an idiot has deep business ties to China, placing the key cabinet official in a potentially conflicting position with the Trump administration's confrontational posture towards the U.S. major economic rival, reports the New York Times. Times investigation outlined Chow's ties to Foremost Group, her family's shipping business. The report noted that while Chow has no formal affiliation or stake in the company, she and her husband, Mitch McConnell, have received millions in gifts from Chow's father, who used to run the company along with political donations from her family. Chow, according to the report, has boosted the company in China, whose government runs a bank that has loan commitments from the shipping company in order of hundreds of millions of dollars. In addition to the shipping company, Chow's family has other ties to official China, including board positions in state companies and a close relationship between Chow's father and former Chinese President and Chinese Communist Party General Secretary Jiang Zemin. The Times said Chow declined an interview, and that the transportation department provided a statement from her defending her family. Um, Chow's sister, Angelo, runs foremost told the Times that the company doesn't have a China focus. We are an international shipping company and I'm an American. Yeah. Well, that's that's partly why. Now, yeah, I get it that the media was willing to report on this only to embarrass Trump. You know, obviously, they have no problems with uh, a Democrat administration's tie to China. I get that, but it doesn't make it not a problem. And that's the reality. Trump was supposed to drain that swamp, and instead he elevated it and 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 he only started complaining about McConnell, by the way, at the end of his presidency when McConnell basically supported impeachment and all that stuff against him and publicly just, you know, called on him to resign and everything. Uh, really at the very end. But policy-wise, he elevated him against conservatives time and again. So again, the problem is not in China, the problem's here. We have not taken the China out of our own political, legal, and cultural system. And I just gave you a bunch of action items how that needs to be done, but I want to switch back to the federal level a little bit here to see how we could accomplish some of this and leverage it at a federal level with, with, with our next guest. So, folks, I'm hearing a lot of other talk show hosts, others saying, well, now's not the time with a narrow majority to go and push back against Kevin McCarthy. We have a battle to fight. We have to fight the left, and it's so important we do this. Well, if it's so important, that means that you believe that there's a lot of vital leverage points that can be used with just control of the House. But in fact, there really aren't. There are a few very important ones, but not beyond that. But the thing is, if you don't dislodge the current leadership, they're not going to use those issues and leverage points, A, because they don't believe in using those leverage points, and B, our issues are not their issues. As you could well see, they're still latching onto Ukraine. They're barely talking about China and the lockdowns there and the fact that we have... A lot of those policies still embedded here. Heck, we're not even hearing about an HR1 to end COVID fascism, end these emergency powers, end gain-of-function research, um, to even investigate vaccine injury. None of the important issues are even on the minds of these people. And I'm not hearing Kevin McCarthy speak out against the omnibus bill. I'm not hearing him speak in defense of marriage at a time when I think even if you are weak on that issue... Back last decade, you'd now see that we have a whole generation of people that are confused, transhumanism, transgenderism. We see the results of it. It's no longer speculation. Yet name me a GOP leader who's speaking out forcefully against any issue of the time. I can't. So just to rush into a GOP majority without getting anything for it. Um, is, is stupid because nothing will change. And with us today is the man who challenged Kevin McCarthy, at least in conference for a speaker, got 31 votes. And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What is the progress in this battle? With us today is Congressman Biggs himself, Arizona's 5th Congressional District. Congressman Biggs, thanks so much for joining us again here at Blaze Media.
3: Yeah, Daniel, thanks so much. Always good to be with you.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and it was great to be on your podcast as well. What's the Big's Idea is your podcast so people could check that out. Um, I'm trying to figure out here, you know, where things stand. On the one hand, it's kind of upsetting that only 31 out of the 200 or so members saw a need for a change in leadership. But you guys seem to be pretty bullish on that number, that that portends – um, something good going into the Speaker's fight that, look, he he, he can't afford to lose more than a few. Um, how many of those 31 are hard commitments that, you know, not just when given the choice between you and McCarthy, they chose you, but that even headed to January 3rd, they're committed to voting for new leadership?
3: Well, you know, Daniel, you, you never know until the, the Board of Truth lights up and people have to stand up and say who they're voting for. But I— I would imagine right now Kevin is down a good 20 votes, um, pretty hard no's. Um, and, and that's not all Freedom Caucus guys either. I mean, I was told by a number of people who came up to me afterwards who aren't members of Freedom Caucus saying I voted for you or I voted against Kevin. The, the, the issues that you raised are exactly right. And it's kind of galvanized a, a good number, enough anyways, to prevent Kevin from getting the speakership. And and the sooner that they realize that, then the sooner that we can resolve uh, who will be the speaker.
0: You know, one of the things that's bothering me about McCarthy and really what he represents, just listening to him, even in his finest hour, okay, where he's trying to pander to conservatives and act like he's very tough, I think it's dumb, both policy-wise and politically, too, that it looks petty. It looks like, We care about going after Biden personally, after his administration and people personally, and not for the betterment of society, getting to the bottom of of the medical freedom issue. You know, things like that. It's like Hunter Biden. Well, we know Hunter Biden ties into Ukraine, COVID fascism, biomedical labs, a lot of different things. It is important. But my concern is that the hearings are going to look too political rather than focused on the issues that really ruin people's lives.
3: Well, I mean, what you say is, 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 a, is so right. And I'll tell you why. And I'm going to give you some examples, real-life examples. And this is why you need to change at the top. And by the way, if we would have won 30 seats, they would have said, well, we can't make a change at the top because Kevin did so great and we got a 30-seat <laughs> majority. And then if we would have been in the minority like we were two years ago, they'd say, well, we came so close. We're in the minority. We can't make a change at the top. You don't want to change anything. <laughs> These guys never want to change the status quo. So, but here's, here's the thing that you're talking about, and I think it's, it's so it, – it, this example is so real. The NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, that's how you, you authorize paying your military you know, for equipment, material, everything related to the military. Well, here's the deal. The Democrats can't – they're in the majority in the House. They cannot pass that. Because there's like 30 or 40 Democrats who will never vote to fund the military. So the Republicans, if we stay off that bill, we stop that bill. Now, why would you want to stop it? Because it's filled with woke crap. It's filled with a diversity, equity, and inclusion office. It's filled with woke training. It's, it's filled with going to other militaries and help, teaching them how to be woke wokeified. It's... Um, it's including the the uh, the bank, safe bank act, and that has nothing to do with military. Biomedical funding. mandates, Ukraine. Done, biomedical, yes. All of that stuff was in there. And what you could have done is you could have said, "Well, let's get some of this out, and let's hold the bill hostage. Let's leverage what we have. We had we had leverage there. Leverage only happens once in a while when you're in the minority, and it'll only happen once in a while, as you said, when we're in the majority. But the the the, the Senate and the presidency." Are in the hands of Democrats. You could have said, "Look, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to give you this unless you reinstate every member who uh, of the military who was uh, booted out that we've spent millions of dollars training, but we booted them out because they didn't want to get an experimental vaccine." You could have done any of that. That's the leverage point, and this and this leadership team didn't do that. And um, it's not very often you get a chance to <clears throat> excuse me change the the trajectory of a nation. But you change it with the institutions that pass the laws, and the way you change that is with both the rules and the personnel at the top, because all the power right now is sitting in the hands of the leader, and that means that the speaker's got the power. And we could make that change. We could make that change now um, if, if enough of our members were committed to actually making a change instead of going with status quo
0: ante. So you mentioned there's leadership, and then there's the rules, uh, and we talked a lot about the rules package. We talked about it together when I was on your podcast. I'm not understanding the status quo. Where where do things stand based on what the conference adopted before Thanksgiving? Have any of those big rules been adopted?
3: No, no. What what what? Basically, what um, the pack rules package that they put out there is a combination of the 115th, which is under Paul Ryan and under Nancy Pelosi. And what those do, the rules, just for everybody to understand, in its most simplest form, that's the process that you use to, to um, pass legislation, including appropriations. Well, what they've done is they've basically brought all of the power into the hands of two people, the Speaker of the House and the minority leader. And the Speaker actually has 90% of that power, and the, the minority leader has just a little bit of power. And that's in both places, on both both sides of the, of the, uh, of the Capitol. And so nothing has changed with that status quo. And we're going to have, I guess, uh, in a couple of days, we're going to have a, a, another uh, a go at it with some, some important uh, amendments. But right now, so far, the leadership's kind of indicated that they're not, they don't want any changes. Why would they? They've got all the power.
0: And that's very disturbing because, you know, there's a lot of people in my industry kind of throwing their panties at Kevin McCarthy, but at least get something for it. Okay, so, you know, you don't change leadership, but you negotiate and you have more of a decentralized power, which would make everyone happy. It's not just a conservative thing. Democrats, uh, you know, the the centrists, whatever you want to call them. Um, So that's a little bit bizarre and very disappointing. I, you know, I want to move to the argument. A lot of people are saying, "Well, what do you want from him? He doesn't have much wiggle room." Because then, if you guys start making your demands on the right, then you know some of these other Republicans from these marginal districts will start making their demands, and you know then they're they're going to drag him even further to the left and get the Democrats involved. What do you say to that concern?
3: Well, that's that's really kind of a red herring. Right now, with the way it looks, it's we're not even sure what the makeup
0: of congress is going to be but
3: let's let's 3 to 5 votes so any 3 to 5 people can get together and say uh, on the republican side and say we're not going to elect Kevin Kevin McCarthy or we're not going to do uh, we're not going to approve of this so yes it, it will it be messy absolutely it'll be messy but that's what the american voter just gave us and so so if you have a strong leader who will decentralize and empower the conference then what'll happen is you're going to find that the the Freedom Caucus and the and the Tuesday Group, which is the kind of the far left group, we actually have probably 10-15 items, big items that we agree on, and you would be able to push that through um, the House. Now, when it gets to the Senate, most things are going to be DOA because the Democrats are going to control. But, but, but legislative-wise, you can you could do that, um, and then you would have to use your tools, and you can negotiate that because everybody would be empowered a little bit more a little bit more transparency a little bit more accountability of the leader all those things would allow us to to make some some what i would call structural changes which would benefit not just republicans and conservatives but the entire country mm. and daniel if if we're if we're going to just say you can never make a change in uh the status quo of the leadership and 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 what i'm talking about here is people who are the establishment, the uniparty people, the, the deep state people. If you can never make that change at the top, you can never change the trajectory of this country. You're just going to yep. have one side going a little bit faster than the other. That is the point. And that could be happened this time if enough members of the Republican conference simply said, we, we do need to change. We need to change the direction we're going in, because um, right now it's going to be cosmetic. It's going to be performance art only, I'm afraid.
0: And speaking of that performance art, one of the things I'm concerned about with COVID, and it's true of every other issue, is that the Republicans will take kind of the most repudiated angle of it that we should have been on to years ago. And then they'll, you know, kind of latch onto to that with the exclusion of everything else. So with COVID, they'll be like going after Fauci, even though he's on his way out. And ironically, you were one of the first, or if not the first, to call on him to resign when most Republicans were still exalting him and thought he was great. But now it's kind of much bigger than him. It really it's not even about lockdowns anymore, although we do need to have permanent you know, legal uh, changes in place to prevent that. But it's about vaccine injury. And it's so glaring. You can't deny it. Is there any evidence that this GOP majority is willing to look into that?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, I know that we're going to do Fauci for sure, as you say. And, and and but see, you're going to talk. What you're talking about is what I call institutional changes that have to be made, and that's like bureaucracies that need to go away, be funded, uh, more oversight. Blah blah blah. All of that has to happen. I don't know if we're going to get there. But but the way the way you would get there is you would say we're we're not going to fund NIH anymore. Um, the CDC. Uh, you're going to be re- relegated to a, a, just a small agency where you coordinate, um, um, you know, very serious illnesses. But but provided that you get to it, you have to get to it and find out what, what happened there. Look, we're still doing gain-of-function research at at least one, one uh, American university funded by the federal government. That's asinine. That's the type of research that, that should be outlawed in this country. In fact, it was ethically... Um, uh, basically ethically restricted so much. That's why Fauci took his gain-of-function goals to China. So, yeah, will, will we be obsessed with, with the nap and miss the beam in our own eye? Probably. <laughs> um, but well, what we really need to do is, is take an overall look at the bureaucracy that, that dealt with it. And the first thing is, and you mentioned this earlier, the first thing is you go in and you pass a law that ends the, the um, emergency uh, now, technically, it's supposed to go off in January at 23. But you go on there and you make it get rid of it. And you you actually um, either my, my opinion is you get rid of the emergency declaration uh, statutes altogether. Yes. So that if a, if a president wants to come in. You have to call Congress. We could, Congress could. This do, is not the 1800s. Hours.
0: This is not the 1800s exactly. anymore. Get, you know. That's right. That's right. We we can get there, ha, uh, get
3: the debate, have the vote, and and determine that an emergency exists or not within 24 hours. I mean, what 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 is it that uh, that. Why do we need an emergency? I, I don't even understand this,
0: Andy. I I don't understand it. This is not yeah. even a far right opinion. This is something that everyone in Congress should be united behind. All factions look. We're not even talking about COVID necessarily, and or or a Democrat president. It's just that it's precisely the most important decisions that need the republicanism, the representative democracy. You can't have that all in one hand, and like you can get from Arizona across the country very quickly. I think it's pretty reasonable to say. Look, you know, a president's public health emergency cannot continue beyond, let's say, seven days or whatever, um, without you know maybe you know a supermajority of Congress affirming it. And if it's that compelling, then you should be able to get those votes. And I, I just don't see an HR one on this, on gain of function, on prep act. It, it's kind of like you know Republicans running in 2010 and then coming in 2011, and HR one not being repeal of Obamacare you know what I mean like that's what it reminds <laughs> yeah, me I'm not I, hearing yeah. it
3: right no I mean that and that's the that's the problem and that that is part of my the reason I said uh, you know I stood up and said well you know I'll run I'm gonna have to run against Kevin because we can't let him win by acclamation you you have to have leadership and leadership has to say what well, this is the agenda the agenda can't be a weak sauce commitment to America type thing It needs to be stronger I, I actually listed pieces of legislation in my my platform. I, I actually said these are the leverage points that we will have to use, and here's how you use them. I said these are the places where you have to have oversight and have the hearings, and the investigation. All of those were laid out a year ago by me. And um, but Kevin uh, puts his thing out really late, and it's weak sauce. And they have crazy things, and they're like, let's let's uh, have the federal government assure that every kid who's fallen behind because of COVID. Educational policies is going to be brought back up to to grade level. Well, how are you going to do that? That that's a miracle. That will require deity to spend, put his hand in and bring people uh, to to make that happen. Because you're still fighting teachers unions. You're still fighting uh, funding. How you get that funding? You're still fighting um, uh, local lockdowns. We're still actually in the middle of these COVID lockdowns in places. And there's an effort to come back with with uh, more masking and, and more lockdowns in, in places as, as uh, crazy as California. So, yeah, it takes leadership to get this done, Daniel, and I don't see it happening. No,
0: and, no, you and, don't. You know,
3: you, can, uh, they, you know, they said investments, you know, uh, past performance is no indication of future performance. Well, in reality is, in people's actions and lives, past performance actually is an indication of what they're going to do in the future. And you look back over the last four years when we've been in the minority and tell me how many times um, uh, we, we've actually taken on the majority using leverage points that we had. How about just in the last two years? You know who, who uh, refused to get involved in, when I said uh, two years ago – well, almost two years ago. No, I said we're going to have to use every procedural tool to slow down this, this uh, uh, basically speed train, high bu- you know bullet train to the left in Marxism. We have to use every procedural tool to stop and slow them down. Uh, My leadership team didn't get behind us. Um, The people that criticized us were were members of the Republican team. So I look at it and I say, yeah, there's a lot to be done, but uh, what I've seen is is a failure to lead and a failure to to get there. And the other thing is, you know, Jordan Peterson says, and I'm just paraphrasing, but he says, if if you're going to be a good leader, you have to have the trust of the people who, who are following you. And I'm not sure that Kevin's got that.
0: Exactly. I know you got to run real quick. Final point here that I, you know, people need to be mobilized. What could people do with the omnibus? Um, that is the last piece of leverage. That is, you know, in case they declare martial law, who knows, start arresting more political prisoners. That is the last thing we hold to create a national fight over it. It's kind of teetering 50 50 now. Where does that stand and what could people do to, uh, Push that because I, I think if Kevin McCarthy were to hold a press conference calling on McConnell, um, you know, to whip against this and not do an omnibus, I think this thing would be dead.
3: I, I think it would too, uh, but that would take leadership and courage. And I, I would like to see that happen. I don't think it will. But here's, I, I, I think the omnibus is really in trouble. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it does fail. I, I mean, there are things you know that even McConnell can't stomach. And so if that's the case, then you're going to get back to a CR. And the biggest problem that, and biggest concern I have, Daniel, with a CR is that there may be enough Republicans in the Senate to approve a year-long CR. In other words, just through the uh-huh. fiscal year. And if that, ha- if, that happens, if that happens, there goes all the leverage wow. of the majority in the House. Not all the leverage, but about 99% of sure. the leverage, because then we would no longer ha- have it. So this takes Kevin. Kevin needs to – I mean, here's a chance for him to show that he is a leader and um and it's to fight these two bit this first of all to kill the omnibus and then put a stake in the heart or limit the 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 length of time of the CR um uh, well, and, and there you go it's fighting
0: the yeah. issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter and and we we're not really seeing that kudos to you for standing up definitely keep us updated uh, you guys are probably going to need some big horse to kind of put out there to make it clear that this is a viable movement um, and we're going to keep bound, pounding away from our side. But like you said, we, we already know how this is going to end. There's going to be some great clickbait for conservative talk radio from some of these hearings, but civilization wise, are we actually going to be saved on a single issue? And that's, that's the question. <laughs> so uh, you know, you're yeah. doing what you can and, yeah. and we really appreciate it. Again, people could catch your podcast. What is it? Once a week?
3: Well, uh, well, usually once a week. took off last week, but yeah, once a week usually.
0: Okay, what's the Biggs idea? Well, Congressman Biggs.
3: It's an irregular regularity. That's what I would say.
0: So, uh, yeah. There you go. We're going to need your voice more. Take care. God bless. Hey, thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. So there you have it, folks. Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona's 5th Congressional District. Um, I wanted to get an update from him on Arizona elections, but he had to run there. And he's really one of the few, one of the few, if you remember, um, who stood strong in 2020 calling on Burks and Fauci to resign when McCarthy and McConnell were still promoting them as heroes. And that's the thing. We're supposed to just forget that these are the same people who embraced the worst elements of the last number of years when they were in the minority. McConnell's case, he was in the majority during the first part of COVID. And we're supposed to just exalt them as leaders, but then again, a lot of the same people promoting McCarthy are the same people that really didn't have a problem with COVID fascism, and with the vaccines, they promoted them from day one, shamed other conservatives for not jumping on board with them, and then now they kind of artfully moved off of it a little bit, uh, but uh, you know to to realign their image, but certainly won't fight for the fact that well, wait a minute, if these things were a fraud and they wound up killing people, well, what are you going to do about it? They're not making demands for reparations, for repeal of the PREP Act and, you know, uh, full immunity from liability and all the things that we wish to do at a state level. They're not doing any of that. And I want want to get to some of those points in these closing minutes, but just I want to comment on some of the things uh, Congressman Biggs said. First of all, very interesting, he pointed out, I just want to make sure we don't get confused. The issue isn't so much omnibus versus CR. It's the fact that a continuing resolution, the presumption was, it would only last into early next year, so then it would expire, and we'd have more leverage to write the budget. Whereas an omnibus would sew it up for the rest of the year. But he was noting that they could pass a CR, just nothing new, although they always put in new stuff, it's called a CR, but it's for the remainder of the fiscal year, and they just bypass this year. They could do that, and that's an interesting thing to watch for. That would be just as bad as an omnibus bill. The other point I would make is that I, I do really feel that the group of, of guys standing up against McCarthy need to make a public push for – a specific person they want to be speaker that's realistic. Obviously, Andy Biggs is never going to be able to be elected by the full body of Rhinos and whatever. And I really think, I still believe, an idea like Lee Zeldin, drafting Lee Zeldin to be a speaker would be an exciting idea. It would resonate really with all sides, and it would build a lot of momentum. Whereas if you just go into it with no alternative, hoping that a couple of people stand up on the floor... On January third, and sandbag McCarthy, I I just don't see that ending well. I, I I fully support it and will support it, but I think you need to start now building the case that, hey, look, you know McCarthy, you're going to get embarrassed on the floor, so let's deal with this right now, um, and start building the case for someone like Lee Zeldin. That that's the best I could think of. Let me know if you have any better ideas. Um, just just first in terms of you know, this vaccine injury stuff, it is, I mean, the numbers are just utterly insane. Ethical Skeptic now has, on his numbers, he has 407,000 sudden deaths, 441,680 deaths due to denial of treatment, and 134,530 other non-natural deaths. It's approaching roughly a million people in the United States so far killed as a result of policies that, by the way, Republicans have fully embraced, fully embraced up and down the gambit of, of all sorts of policies. So, again, are you hearing Republicans anywhere, anyhow discuss this? Because I'm certainly not. I mean, at least just compensation. Where's the Republican bill to compensate victims of injury? And you might say, well, they're not going to, but you have to get members like Andy Biggs to introduce it. But here's the problem. How are you going to get a vote on it? I mean, that was the other big important thing he mentioned is that it's not just that we're stuck with McCarthy but we're stuck with the same rules meaning at least the at least if you're going to throw your wad at McCarthy get some changes get some concessions notice very carefully if you watch very carefully he has not given us anything nothing and, and and that's what they, the, the, and it's all these guys that are close with Trump. Trump killed us on this issue. Trump could tomorrow say, look, McCarthy, here's what we need. Endorse the Freedom Caucus rules. And some of these guys were his strongest supporters. But as Lou Barletta recently said, loyalty is a one-way street when it comes to Trump. And sadly, I'd have to agree with it. Um, before we go, one more thing I wanna bring to your attention. So the big two things are the budget bill in the lame duck session, and then obviously the the destruction of, of marriage mandating red states accepted. The other thing is gonna be this um big uh green card bill for for uh all these Indian tech workers. This is from USTechworkers.com. Like the proverbial bad penny that keeps reappearing, lousy immigration bills are hard to kill off. Consider the Eagle Act of 2022, also known as the Equal Access to Green Cards for Legal Employment, uh, H.R. 3648. It passed the House, by the way, 365 to 65. There were only 65 no votes on it. Um, and it basically would just hand out green cards to all these foreign workers rather than sending them back and, and, uh, you know, supporting American sovereignty. Tom Emmer, just elected House Majority Whip, is a big champion of this bill. And watch out, this might hitch a ride on the budget bill or something else. So this is something definitely to watch for. We'll go into it in more detail in the coming days. But the point is, it's not only are they not using the leverage to fight for us, on the most important issues of our time, sovereignty, immigration, China, medical freedom, Ukraine, the Republican leaders are the same dudes that have been screwing us until now, and they're still on the other side. So the point is, we can't even fight for freedom in China if we haven't taken the China out of our own country. And that China is embodied in both parties. As any successful policy is, it has support, political protection in both parties. And yet, you know, name me the number of conservative leaders that are peddled to the metal fighting for change in leadership. We already have the exact same Senate leadership. You have Rona McDaniel, likely going to survive as RNC chair. And then they just elected the same House leaders and even, again, Nominated the guy pro open borders, Rhino, who failed at the helm of the NRCC, and he's elevated to whip. I mean, one of the points Andy was making is that look, if they would have won big, they said, yeah, you know, you can't destroy leadership. They did a good job. So they had a very disappointing turnout, and the very guys behind that were like, well, you can't undermine them now. It's a narrow majority. Every vote counts. Well, gee, when are are we going to fix this? So as always, we're going to have you covered. Lame duck at a federal level. Once they take over what can and should be done, all the happenings in Congress, and then certainly even more importantly, state legislative sessions are going to need you guys in your respective states. If you're in a red state and you understand what goes on in your legislature, good bills that need to be promoted, bad bills that need to be quashed, issues that need to be elevated to national prominence, Let me know, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, C19, Truth Bombs at Telegram. I'll let you know as soon if I'm restored on Twitter at RM Conservative. Folks, we're just getting started to our final sprint, our final month here. So much more to do to redeem what's been a pretty awful year, but our fortunes could turn around, God willing. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.